0: I'm here to be a catalyst for awe. You are a character in your life. So what kind of story are you telling? Is it any good? Or is it kind of boring? Let's put it to the test. This is Character Test with Joe Bunting. Welcome to Character Test, my podcast about the characters we love and hate in the books we read, the films we watch, and the lives we lead. My name is Joe Bunting, and I'm a best selling author and the founder of The Right Practice.
1: And I'm Alice Sudlow. I'm the editor in chief of The Right Practice and a StoryGrid certified editor.
0: So, this is a unique episode because today my book, Crowdsourcing Paris, a real life adventure story set in Paris, was officially published.
1: Woohoo! It's out!
0: So exciting. Yeah, so I've never really made a personal ask on this show. Like all of us, you're here to learn and grow, not be sold stuff, unless you are here to be sold stuff, in which case, I have something to sell you today.
1: Yeah, you've come to the right place.
0: (laughs) So today, I'm going to ask you, dear listener, for a favor. Please go check out my book, Crowdsourcing Paris, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy your books online, and if it looks like something you'd enjoy buy yourself a copy. And if it doesn't look like something you'd enjoy, buy a copy for a friend. Why not?
1: Or like buy a copy to go leave on a park bench and kind of surprise book bomb the world.
0: It's a beautiful idea. I love that, Alice. Yeah. Sounds like a great adventure. It does. (laughs) So I've been working on this book for five years, and I'm actually really proud of how it turned out. I would be honored if you'd read it.
1: Plus, we're doing something really fun for this launch, which is that you can actually get over $230 worth of bonuses if you purchase the book in the next two weeks. So, real incentive to go leave some copies on park benches, is what I'm saying. The first bonus is a live class on how to write a memoir that Joe will be teaching, which is worth $200. The second bonus is a new short book about a second real-life adventure that Joe took with his family in Bordeaux in France that's called Crowdsourcing Arcachon. And the last bonus, and this is my favorite, is a Paris walking guide and illustrated map. It's really pretty.
0: It is cool. I have one on my wall right now. It's looking very nice.
1: Well, on the wall might be generous. Next to the wall is maybe more accurate.
0: You can't be hanging things.
2: It's way (laughs) too much work.
0: So, yeah, you can get all of these bonuses just by purchasing the book and then forwarding your receipt to crowdsourcingparis at gmail.com, and we will have all of that info in the show notes as well. On top of those bonuses, I'm also doing a giveaway giveaway. Something a little bit crazy, honestly. I want to fly one person to Paris on me.
1: And I said the map is my favorite bonus, but this is my actual favorite bonus. (laughs) Well, it's not technically a bonus, but this one is still my favorite. Why look at a picture of Paris when you could go look at actual Paris? So
0: true. So you can find all the details and enter to win that flight to Paris over at charactertestshow.com slash paris. And who knows, maybe you'll be leaving for Paris soon. So in honor of the launch of my new book, Crowdsourcing Paris, we're doing things a little bit different today. As always, we're going to start by putting a character to the test. Alice and I look at a character in a book we're reading or film we're watching and ask, is this actually a good character? And also, what can we learn from that character? What character are we talking about today, Alice?
1: We're talking about our first real-life character. Ernest Hemingway, as depicted in his memoir about living in Paris, A movable Feast.
0: And after that, we're having an informal conversation about travel and adventure with Max Dubinsky. Max is a writer best known for his short fiction. He's the author of the graphic novel, Dislocated, and his short fiction has been published in Longleaf Review, Outlook Springs, and Sweeney's*. You can find links in the show notes to his work online. He also has the first line in the first chapter of my new book, when he completely ruins all of the plans that I had for Paris. You'll have to read the book or listen to the interview to find out more about that. It's a pretty funny story. In our conversation, We talk about how Max left everything to travel around the country for a year, how he abandoned his original road trip plans to go see about a girl in Ohio, how he eventually married that girl six months later on a mountain in Colorado. We talk about adventure, the importance of getting out of your comfort zone, and share a lot of great stories. This is a fun conversation that I know you're going to enjoy. The last part of our show is our character study, where we ask what we can learn in our own lives as we try to live a better story. Thanks for listening to The Character Test Show. We have a free prize for everyone who listens to this episode. I'm not going to tell you what it is, although it probably will have something to do with my new book. So you'll have to find out for yourself. You can get it at charactertestshow.com slash episode 16. Again, go to charactertestshow.com slash episode 16 to get a free prize related to this episode. All right, Alice, it's time for the character test portion of our show. Today, we're examining Ernest Hemingway and his memoir, A Movable Feast.
1: We are. So why did you choose Hemingway to test?
0: So a good friend, Jeff Goines, gave me a copy of A movable Feast when I left for Paris when I was going to write this book. And I read the whole book while I was there, some a little bit beforehand. It was amazing to kind of be in Paris and see the things that he was describing. He was living there in the 1920s during this amazing time to be in Paris where there were all these artists and writers there. This was kind of just after World War I. The economy in France was not doing so well and it was really cheap to live in Paris. And so all of these artists just kind of descended on the city and it was a really exciting time to be there. And I read this story and thought, wow, I would love to be having this experience in Paris. And also, I wasn't really having that experience or that particular experience. I was having a different kind of adventure. But there's so many things about this memoir that I love and that resonated with me as a writer. He's kind of reflecting back on how he became a writer in Paris. And it felt like that's what was happening to me too a little bit. So, it was kind of moving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome.
0: a movable moment A, a I, moving moment anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did catch that. I was wondering whether I should go for the pun or whether it was a stretch even for me. <laughs> I decided it was a stretch, so I'm glad oh, you know glad I
0: blundered my way through. It.
1: <laughs> All right, well let's put Hemingway to the test using our four criteria for what makes for an interesting character. Now the first one is his goal. Does Hemingway have a goal in a movable feast, and what is that goal?
0: Yeah, I don't know if he has an explicit goal that's like clearly laid out in the story, but his goal seems to be to become a writer and specifically to become a great novelist. And he is sort of figuring that out. He starts the story as a newspaper reporter, and then slowly kind of earns his chops as a writer. And You know, then all of a sudden he writes, Sun Also Rises. It talks a little bit about that and becomes world famous. Um, So, he accomplishes his goal. He wrote this book at the end of his life in the last, I think, six years or so of his life as he was looking back on everything that he had done and the things he was proud of and the things he was not very proud of. And I think he was reflecting on what it meant for him to become a writer in Paris at that kind of amazing time period.
1: Yeah. So yes to a goal, although not necessarily an explicit goal, but does he have to overcome challenges to accomplish his goal? And can you point to some?
0: Yeah, so this is where I'm not quite sure whether he passes this part of the test. He does experience some challenges, but I wouldn't say that the book is really about the challenges, like in the sense of a novel or a narrative would be about the challenges. A lot of the book is sort of him kind of just being around these amazing people like Gertrude Stein, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ezra Pound, all of these kind of incredible characters from the you know early 1900s, it is not so much about like the challenges that he has to overcome to become a writer.
1: Yeah, it's not really about a single goal that he is pursuing over the course of the book and the ways that he faces obstacles along the way. But what about decisions? Good characters make decisions. Does he make any decisions?
0: So again, this is where I'm not sure he passes the test Completely. I do think he makes a couple of decisions. There's a very major decision he makes right in the very end of the book, which we'll talk about more in a second. But, you know, it doesn't really show his decisions so much. He's already made the decision to be a writer. He sort of decides to come to Paris. I think that was a major decision. But I wouldn't say like the book is packed full of decisions in the way like a traditionally structured novel would be. He decides to trust Gertrude Stein with his writing and gets a lot of feedback from her. He decides to be friends with some of these people, but mostly he's just talking about what happened, you know, all of these things that happened to him.
1: Yeah, more of a reflection on a collection of events than a series of strategic pursuits of a goal. Yeah. How about empathy? Is he a character that we can empathize with?
0: So personally, I, I do think he's empathizable. I, and this, I might be biased because I am a writer. I wanted to be a writer for a long time. So, like watching him pursue this passion and also just getting to do it in Paris. I mean, that's so, was so exciting for me. And I think anyone who has had a dream can empathize with that. There's some of it that's kind of off-putting at the same time. Like he makes friends with all these really famous people at the time. And that is so exciting, but also a little bit distancing because you're not ever going to be friends with those people, but you can, you know, empathize with the fact that he's getting to hang out with them or at least envy the fact that he's getting to hang out with them like I would do. And then there's some things that are not very empathizable as well. So, later in the book, he kind of, you know, has built all these friendships with all these people and then proceeds to like trash them all. And I think he sort of developed a reputation for, you know, over the years, like having these close friendships and then, you know, just talking a lot of crap about them and blowing those friendships up. And, you know, that's something, not something I'm like super well read in, I haven't read all his biographies, but... I you know do know that he hurt some of his friends like Gertrude Stein who really helped his career early on even F Scott Fitzgerald and some other writers he was close to and then there's this other kind of last final moment of the book where he talks about you know now that he is this famous writer and he is hanging out with all these really rich people kind of partying with them he talks about how he you know, is hanging out with these people. He cheats on his wife with this rich woman, eventually leaves his wife for her, and how much he regretted that decision. Again, he wrote this at the end of his life, looking back on this decision he had made and talking about his regret. And I think that's both not empathizable because he totally betrayed this woman that had given him so much and also empathizable in the sense of he really regretted that action and probably wished that he had done things differently.
1: Yeah, that's really powerful. And really, I don't love hearing that about the ways that he treats people. Those are really difficult things. On that vein, what or in that vein, what can we learn from Hemingway?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many things to learn from this story and from Hemingway in general. You know, So much of it is about being in the right place at the right time if he had not been in Paris during this period of time. I don't think that we would look back at Hemingway as kind of the master of novel writing in the 20th century that we do. But because he was there hanging around all of these really genius people that gave him so much credibility and this sense of genius and he learned so much from them as well you know so it's just so important to like where can we go to really master our craft whatever whatever that craft is where is the place that we need to be to really become that expert like he was
1: yeah in that vein I already used that analogy, but I'm using it again. Apparently, I'm stuck on one analogy today. In that same kind of idea, you were telling me earlier today about the title, Immovable Feast, and how that connects with kind of this everlasting concept of Paris, no matter where you are. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about that? And then I have a follow-up question for that.
0: Yeah. So one thing he said, the reason why the book is called movable Feast, and I'm not going to like try to quote it exactly because I don't remember the quote, but <laughs> he basically says like looking back at Paris, Paris, these memories of Paris always stuck with him and they were always kind of nourishing his soul, the art, the culture, just the atmosphere of Paris, and it became this movable feast for him in his life, that Paris was always with him, that he was always being nourished from those experiences.
1: So my question is, do you think it's Paris? I mean, obviously, you went to Paris as well. He went to Paris. He went to Paris at a very specific time during very specific circumstances when he had a very specific goal that lined up very well with all of those circumstances so, there was a lot more than just the place of Paris there. Do you think that it's Paris? Do you think that anyone can travel to Paris and find themselves? Or is it, some, is it Paris and something? Or is it something else that you and he both found in Paris?
0: I will say there's something about Paris. It just has this thing that I can't really describe and it's it's a cultural thing it's like an atmosphere thing it's in the food in the water just being there kind of changes you and of course it's not just paris you know <laughs> like i went to a very different paris than hemingway went to and i think i was nourished in a very different way from that experience so he had the benefit of hanging out with You know, or at least around Picasso and T.S. Eliot, James Joyce, all these amazing, you know, people from history, and I didn't get to hang out with any of those people.
1: (laughs) Did Uh, you hang out with today's modern famous writers? (laughs) No, not at all. It's way too expensive for those
0: people. But I do think there's something special about Paris in the sense of yeah, it just has this almost slowness to it and this focus on kind of simple pleasure. Simple enjoyment of life. Not necessarily extravagant enjoyment, although it does have some of that. But I think in Paris, you realize there's nothing really better than a loaf of really good bread baked at the perfect spot and some really amazing aged butter. And every Parisian would probably say a similar thing. And just they have a a huge amount of focus on these small, simple pleasures that I think everyone can learn from and should experience someday.
1: All right, we should all go to Paris. That's why you're sending at least one person to Paris. Exactly. (laughs) To make sure that you get some really good bread, (laughs) baked at just the right time, at just the right place, with the correct aged butter, that's your goal.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you all the best spots. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well that's it for Hemingway. Let's get into our interview with Max. Well, welcome to the Character Test Show, Max. Great to have you here.
3: Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on.
0: So, today I want to do kind of less of an interview and more just a chat about travel and adventure and how it shapes us. And I want to start by throwing kind of a curveball. Normally, we ask this question at the end of every interview, but I'm going to surprise you by asking at the beginning. Okay. So, what is your favorite character? From a book or a film?
3: Does this have to be travel related? No, or whatever, is
0: this whatever you want. In general, my yeah.
3: favorite character from book or film?
0: Just starting with the easiest question first.
3: Yeah. I'm going to give you a character. My, I have like an obvious answer and a less obvious answer. Okay. So my first response is the character Ransom from the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy. Oh, yeah. Was something I was introduced to a few years ago. And if you want to talk travel, it's like the ultimate travel trilogy, oddly enough. And it's about, you know, Ransom is just this guy, he's this doctor on Earth, and he gets a, and he gets kidnapped by two men who take him into outer space to a planet that they think has alien life, and they try to sacrifice him on that planet. But the planet is like uncorrupted by humanity and... Anyway, so he the adventure that he goes on and the experience that he goes on. I just always I love those books. I love that character. Mm. I love his name.
0: What do you love about him?
3: You know, I don't know. It's a tough answer because he's very very quiet and I so and he's maybe kind of the opposite of me because I feel like <laughs> I I I can get loud and I do love to talk and Ransom is very meditative and seems to listen. Yeah. Before actually answering and making decisions and that's just an admirable quality hmm. but another character that also came to mind and this was only just because my name is max and i my, my mother named me because she was watching the mad max beyond thunderdome movie wow
0: that's a and huge it, legacy
3: it is she was watching mad max beyond thunderdome came out oh my god and they had a few names set aside for me one of them being john elton and <laughs> My mom was nine months pregnant with me and she saw Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And she was, was like, like,
0: Mel Gibson. it. I yeah. just need to have more of him in my life. Yeah.
3: Max, she was like, Max is it. Max is going to be his name. Wow. And in the 80s, it was still a very uncommon name. Yeah. And so, those movies, because I was named after them, were always playing in my house. Like, I just grew up really on Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome because it, it was the friendliest one. The other two I wasn't allowed to watch <laughs> until I was older. But man, yeah. And so I guess that character has, cool. has always held a special place in my life because I was named after him and also another quiet, meditative character yeah. who doesn't really stoic. speak a lot. So I wonder Strong, why. Strong,
0: stoic Yeah, character. I seem to be
3: attracted to these characters who, who don't speak or speak very carefully and are very intent with their actions.
0: So, both of those, I haven't read the Space Trilogy and I'm embarrassed to say that because everyone tells me it's amazing.
3: I didn't even know it existed until a few years ago. So, don't, yeah, uh, don't feel embarrassed at all.
0: Well, I'll feel embarrassed just for my own (laughs) sake. But I, I think it's interesting that both of those are about travel and obviously, you know, you've been on these long journeys and we've talked about travel, our travels in the past. So... I wonder like, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is just like, which comes first, you know, the story about travel that Mm -hmm. like ignites a passion or the travel, which creates an interesting story. And like, why are we as in humans attracted to these stories of travel? Do you have Mm -hmm. a good, good explanation for me?
3: I can only speak to me personally, yeah. I guess, in this. And for me personally, I was always so bored with my life from a very early age. Like I always thought my life wasn't exciting enough. Mm. I would make up stories of like monsters living in my neighborhood that, you know, I was hunting and/or were hunting me. I was always imagining that I was somewhere else. And I don't know if it's just the writer in me that was you know, always off in these imaginary places and that propelled those fantasies and thinking that my life was boring and I wanted to make it more exciting. But I also think we're born with this sense of like, this is it. This is our one and only life. And so we have to make the absolute best of it. And I think if you get caught with that, you know, wanderlust bug early on in life, it's easy to want to feel constantly uncomfortable and get out there, and do things, and try things, and see the world. I think that's pretty exciting. So, I guess that's my gut reaction answer to that question.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, I want to talk about this one moment that we both experienced. When I was living in the basement of my father-in-law's house, Yeah, which was a pretty low place to be yeah. for me. And Talia, my wife, and I had already, we had bought these plane tickets to go yeah. live in Paris. We had made this decision that we were going to Paris for a few okay. months. And I realized as I was doing the math that, oh, maybe buying those plane tickets wasn't the best idea because we are not going to have enough money <laughs> to afford this experience. Right. And that we were going to be like $600 short. And I had to figure out how to make $600 in a few weeks before we had to leave on this huge trip. And so long story short, I said that I would write a book about the trip and crowd fund it to raise money, to make up that $600. I was really stressed and I was stressed about money and I was stressed about time because I had to figure out how to do all this really quickly. And I was stressed because I was living in the basement of my father-in-law's house. And so it was kind of a low point, but also really exciting. I had this one thing going for me, I had a book idea. And I was pretty excited about it. Yeah. And this is where you come in. I sent you this book idea because we were friends. We were both writers. And I always looked up to you as as a real writer. I feel so
3: bad about this part of the story right now. (laughs) I did not know you already bought your tickets.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. So, you remember this though. You remember me sending this idea to you for this trip. Oh
3: my god, I can't believe you already bought your tickets when
0: you sent me that idea.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and the reason is because I I didn't think it was a good idea.
0: Yeah. So when you okay, okay, but I want to I want to take it back for a second. When you saw that email from me, you were living in LA at the time, right?
3: Uh-huh. Yep. I was. Yes.
0: And you were writing all the things.
3: I don't know what I was doing. I was always writing something. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> And so, this email from Joe, who you probably haven't talked to in a couple of months, yeah. comes across your desk. Do you remember like what you were thinking when you saw that idea?
3: I feel like I should preference this with the listeners, that Joe has me as the first line
2: in his... Yeah. We're, we're going to get to that. One. Okay. We're going I to read that.
3: <laughs> so. I don't remember... I mean, I have to go dig up that email yeah. and, and look at it, but I do just remember thinking to myself, like, why? Yeah, I was like the I was just like, like I could not understand the why. I guess, which is, I was just like, what's the like, what is the point of of this? I wasn't excited in that moment by your idea. Yeah, I, I think that's all I can really remember is that, like, I just in that initial moment, I was just like, mm, whatever, like, whatever, you
2: know, yeah. That's so great. All
0: right. right, So, well, well, with that preface, I want to read this section from my book. So, this is from Crowdsourcing Paris, my new memoir, which is coming out soon. And Max has the very first line in the first chapter
3: which I was originally honored by to hear. And then I read it. I was like, this is the line?
0: (laughs) Well, you sort of changed my life with this line. So, I I think it's going to be fine, long term. (laughs) 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 All right. So, this is chapter one, Paris. It sounds, I don't know how to say it, kind of selfish and boring, Max had said. It was Ah, a month before our flight We were living in Talia's parents' basement, had to move out of our apartment to save money for France, but when I added up our budget, I realized that we would be $600 short of what we needed to live in Paris. How was I going to find $600 and keep this trip alive? My first thought had been to sell the guitar I had since I was 16 that I had traveled from California to Georgia with when I first started dating Talia. Paris was worth it, I thought. Aren't you a writer? A friend told me. Can't you come up with some other way to make $600 with your writing? Huh, I thought. And that's where the idea to write a book, a travelogue about living in Paris with my wife and 10-month-old son came from. Except Max hated the idea. Paris is kind of tame, you know, he said. I don't know if that alone will make a very good story. I had been a fan of Max's writing before I ever met him. He was on a long road trip at the time, Jack kerouac his way through America, staying in campgrounds and on people's couches, writing short stories in coffee shops in the Midwest and blogging about the whole experience. To me, Ma- Max represented a kind of hipster coolness that didn't care about money and just wanted to make great art. How does it feel to like be described like that? Is that a weird feeling? I don't know. That's... I'm just thinking about this right now.
3: I feel like you described my adventure way cooler than i remember it being so that has my full support but okay. I, you know the thing that actually occurred to me when you were reading that back to me right now is that i realized just now like why i said what i said to you
0: yeah well well let me finish reading this section and then i'm going to i'm going to ask that okay what can you do to make it more adventurous he asked i hated max so much in that moment All I wanted out of Paris was to sit in cafes, to soak in the atmosphere, to people watch to my heart's content and describe all my surroundings and emotions while doing it. You know, how Hemingway did it. Wasn't it enough to travel to Paris with not enough money and a 10-month-old? What more do you want from me? Do what you want, man said Max. It's your book. But you asked me if I thought people would finance this book. And because you have a big audience, I think you could probably get $600. I just don't think it will be a very good book. I felt like a fraud. Here I was teaching people to write books and I was being told my book idea was terrible.
3: (laughs) This is hard to hear.
0: (laughs) I love it. I mean, I, I did hate you in that moment. Yeah, sure. But Fair enough.
3: You should have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, it felt like really good feedback. Yeah. So so tell me why you said that at the time.
3: Man, I don't I, I don't remember it being so harsh, but I do feel <laughs> like I but so someone was really harsh with me yeah. when I was on the road. And I remember on day like fifteen when I was just traveling and, and random people were inviting me to stay with them and I was just you kinda know, hearing their stories and but I remember feeling like by day fifteen that I was not moved in any way, like i didn't feel moved is the best word like I didn't feel any change coming. I just felt more lost than ever before, yeah. and I didn't know what direction I was supposed to be heading, and I remember calling a friend and I had said like i I just like the experience of me just leaving and hitting the road is not what I thought it was going to be, and like I don't feel any different, and I think I think I feel worse Mm. is what I had, you know, because I I took this trip kind of in a similar, like, I I need to shock my system. I need to jar my life. Things aren't going well here. And I don't know where I want to be. And my friend's response was stop going to the comfortable places. Mm. And he's, you know, he, everywhere you're going is comfortable. Everywhere you're going is, is you're, you're with familiar people you're with, Uh, Friends of friends, you're not going anywhere dangerous. You know, you're not going anywhere where you don't know the language. You know, you don't know like with a different community, a different culture, different religion. Like you're just going on this path of friends of friends of friends who are helping you find couches. And so when you were reading that back to me, it made me realize that like that's the feeling I felt Mm -hmm. when, when you messaged me. And we're like, hey, I'm just going to go to Paris. And I, you know, the way I interpreted that was like, man, that's not safe enough. Or that's too safe. Yeah, I could do something more dangerous to be more exciting. So I think that's where that was coming from because that did change everything for me when my friend told me you're you're being too comfortable. Wow. In your adventure.
0: So it's so funny. Like right after that in the book, I talk about my father-in-law who had given me similar advice, and it was like two or three. Or or four, really, people had mentioned, like, this. Is, there's something missing from this book. I think you need adventure. And they said that word, like, adventure. You need yeah. to have adventure. And I was in denial. And I was like, no, this is an adventure. You guys are stupid. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And finally, like, realized that, oh, you're right. Or even if you're not right. I'm going to like hedge my bets a little bit and and add in some adventure experiences. And it turned out to be, you know, life-changing. Yeah. So, when you heard that advice from that friend, what was your response? Like, were you resistant to that idea or did you just jump in?
3: I didn't know where to go. Mm. I didn't know how to find something uncomfortable without like leaving the country. Like I didn't know cause I was confined to just the road and I didn't know. And so I was just like, well, where do I go? like, like what, I guess I had to decide for myself what was uncomfortable, mm. what was risky, what was against what everyone was telling me to do. Yeah. You know, there was definitely people, there were definitely people in my life at the time who were like, this is the version of this journey that you should be on. And like, and it was very like, these are the things you should be doing and not doing. And I think I had a lot of conflicting voices in my head. So I stayed were on those this, like...
0: things that people were saying kind of safe things. Oh,
3: absolutely. I actually, I mean, I have no, I have no problem talking about this now at this point in my life. But I mean, I, one of the reasons I left was because I was, I was a part of a church that I very much disagreed with. Yeah. And I and, and I had given a lot of my life to them. And I realized that I was never going to get away from them unless I truly left. Wow. And they were all still whispering in my ear and emailing me and messaging me and telling me that, that to be weary of certain things on the road. And, and like what, you know, like who is the, the woman who is now my wife. <laughs> um, wow. I met cause I met in person. I met my wife yeah. while I was traveling and she got, she literally quit her job and got in the car with me and we drove. But I was like, That would never have happened if I hadn't called my buddy who was like, dude, just like go to the uncomfortable places, do the things that nobody is expecting you to do. And he sort of let me get my guard down and open up to just like whatever happens on the road, man, I'm just going to, I'm just going to follow, I'm going to get out of this. Like I was, I was, as I was leaving this church, I was still following like friends of friends of friends within that church. So Mm -hmm. I was still like in this like orbit. Yeah. of this place I was trying to leave. And it wasn't until I was up in Spokane, Washington. and he was like, get uncomfortable, get out, get out of that orbit. that I was, I felt free that like, Hey, if I met this girl on the road and she wanted to get in my car with me and just say, screw it. Like, let's find out what happens. Wow. Like, I don't know if there, the version, you know, when that happened 30 days later, like I don't know if that version of me would have been receptive to that. Yeah. If I had still been in the orbit of, of like being comfortable.
0: Okay. So, so that happened day 45 is what you're saying of your journey or so. No, I
3: think I think yeah, I think that happened actually on day 30. So okay. it was 20 days later. So it was 10 days, 10 to 15 days. Yeah. while I was and then yes, uh, on day I was on day 30 that I met.
0: Wow. I That's crazy. Okay, so yeah. so what happened between day 15 when mm-hmm. your friend challenged you? To adventure, like had the incite, uh, inciting whatever inciting incident, yeah. mm-hmm. and then day thirty, like there's this new yeah. new adventure.
3: Sure. Well, I took I took my first recommendation from somebody who was completely unbeknownst to me
0: mm.
3: of where to go next. Okay, which ended up being, and you know, I think either it was either Missoula or Billings, Montana. And I knew I did not know anyone there. I did not know, I didn't know where I was gonna stay. There was just one random person who was like, hey man, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who works at this restaurant, and I've contacted them and they're like, they would buy you a meal if you showed up. And like, and I showed wow. up there and it was this like college party night, and it was just this wild, like all these people that I just I didn't know in this tiny college town and someone bought me this meal and I ended up just having great conversations with people and hanging out. And I was in Montana, which was not in the game plan at all in general. <laughs> um, I was supposed to head to Denver and then I went to Montana instead. Yeah. And, and then I just got this moment, Lauren and I had been chatting. She knew that I was on the road yeah. and I knew that I was going to reach out to her when I got towards Columbus okay. where she was living at the time. And I was all the way up in like Montana. And I eventually just like, I was like, man, screw this. Like, I'm just going to go to Columbus and (laughs) and meet this girl in person. And so like, I just floored it from like Montana to Columbus basically to get there to see her and meet her. And then she got in the car with me. And I mean, and then her and I spent six months together on the road after I met her. And it's eight years later and we're still married today.
0: That's crazy. This episode is brought to you by The Right Practice Pro. The Right Practice Pro is an amazing community of creative writers where you can post your writing, get feedback on it, and figure out how to turn your writing into beautiful, award winning books, short stories, or novels. I personally post my own writing to this community to get feedback. And if you have any interest in becoming a published, award winning writer, you should too. The Right Practice Pro is for anyone writing a book novel, short story or poem or anyone who just wants to improve their creative writing. If you want to become a better writer, getting good feedback is something you must invest in, and The Right Practice Pro is the best place to get it. You can sign up for The Right Practice Pro at slash All right, you were in Montana. Where did you sleep? Like, did you have money for a hotel room or something?
3: I honestly do not remember where I slept that night in Montana. I must've slept in my car or a hotel room. I do know that I spent the night in this house that like seven dudes were living in,
2: Oh. Wow. in
3: Billings, on my way through Montana. So I think I stopped in Missoula, Montana first. Okay. I don't know where I spent the night that night. I think it, I must've spent the night in a hotel or my car. And then... And then I went to Billings, and it was like seven dudes there, and they and there was nothing in Billings, Montana. So I stayed like one night there, yeah, and then left.
0: And then you went straight. You're like, yeah, hanging out with had, seven dudes, and I'm like, I'm done with dudes.
3: I'm going. I'm, I'm headed. i headed to see Lauren. <laughs> I did stop in Denver. I stopped in a few other random places on the way, okay. but like I got there as quickly as I could, and because that was like what I wanted. I was like, I want to go, I'm going to go. Like, I wasn't like denying myself. I feel like what I wanted hmm. while I was traveling Yeah, in search of like, I like some greater voice to tell me like, this is where you should be. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go do what I want. Hmm. Instead of what these people back home think I should be doing, what I'm waiting to hear I should be doing. I'm just going to go do what I want and see what happens. Yeah. Oh, so I did what I wanted.
0: Well, and that's then, funny because... Your advice to me had the exact opposite effect. <laughs> <laughs> I spent like 2 months in Paris doing what other people wanted me to yeah. do that made my life very uncomfortable. But your
3: idea is a very cool idea. Yeah. And I wish I had almost done that. I wish that I had been driving around and and made and people telling me like go do this thing in South Dakota, go yeah. do this. go cross the border into Canada. And, you know, talk up a stranger at the bar. Like, I don't know. I'd be like that. That's yeah, such a
0: cool it, sounds, it sounds really fun. And in the past, it's pretty fun. In the present, it was very uncomfortable. Sure. okay,
3: <laughs> I can, I, Yeah. I, I, I think you wrote something in one of your chapters about like some strange, like, hey, go to this place and meet this stranger. Right. And they may or may not be wearing like a baseball cap or yeah, something like uh,
0: that. Yeah.
3: And I would feel super weirded out by that.
0: It, of, like, yeah. There was a lot of super weird about yeah. feelings. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's where it's those places in between what you have planned yeah. and the next thing that really exciting stories come from, yeah. you know? Absolutely. And I mean, that's what happened to you. You were not planning to go meet the love of your life. Yeah. Or were you? Was that part of your plan?
3: Yes, I knew that I was going to eventually get to Lauren. Like I knew I was gonna go like but I was I knew I was gonna meet her at some point. Yeah. But deep down I it was like what I really wanted to do was just like drive across the country and meet her and then go and then figure figure out. But I was like just delaying and taking going where people were recommending I was going and I was just stuck like driving up and down the West. I was doing this like this zigzag across the country rather than and then we went to some really uncomfortable places and weird things yeah. after, I, after I met her. And I just kept going with that. Like, I'm just going to go to like the least expected wow. place.
0: Like what? what? What were some weird things that happened?
3: One of my most memorable experiences was a, Lauren and I parted ways at one point on the road. And I ended up at, funny enough that you write, write this in your own book. I ended up at the Jack Kerouac's nephew's house. Whoa. In South Carolina, I think it was. And he had found out, they, him and his family just had somehow came across my writings and wow. they were like, this dude, this is really cool. Like, you know,
0: that's so crazy. The
3: spirit of our family, like, you should come by and stay with us. <laughs> and they lived in the middle of nowhere and, and... their house was super haunted. And it was literally one of the first things they warned me about. They were like, Hey, when you're staying here, like just FYI, like if you hear things moving around in the kitchen at night, like, don't worry. Like, it's just the ghost that lives in this house. (laughs) And I am just like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm sleeping some like, you know, And, and then two nights later, there was a huge storm at their house and they lived in the middle of the woods. They had no neighbors. Yeah. And this huge storm came through and the daughter had some friends over and she needed to take the friends home and there was no room in the car to fit me. Like everybody else got in the car. And so I was just left alone in the haunted house in the middle of a storm. And it was hands down the most terrifying. I mean, I scared myself silly Oh my! being in this house that they told me. They told me some such freakish stories about things that happened in that
0: house. Okay. Like what? First, was it like a Victorian style house? Like give me some descriptions of what the house looked yeah, it was like. Not was Victorian. it
3: big? It was big, but it was also a ranch. It okay. was a very sprawling ranch style okay. house. And it was very eclectic as you might imagine some people who have lived on the road and come from a family of travelers. Like it was a very eclectic house. It was in the middle of the woods. They had a very long winding driveway that winded down almost like, so they were on a slope, or like they were at the bottom of a hill basically. Yeah. Surrounded by trees. Wow. subway tile countertops okay. and linoleum floor in the kitchen and none of the dishes matched and windows <laughs> everywhere. The windows everywhere. So like, you know, every time a, a bolt of lightning struck during the storm, I mean, the whole house, wow. you know, lit up and the power went out
0: okay. as well. While you storm. were there?
3: While I was there, By yourself. they had left to go take their friend home because oh their friend was worried that like a tornado was coming and she wanted to go home. I think it yeah. was, if I remember correctly. And so yeah, so I was left alone in this house of this, like nephew of this famous writer and traveler and it's super, and also got so many weird things and pictures. And, yeah. and I just remember one of them, you know, just saying, Hey, anything, cause they would always tell me that they would wake up constantly and find their kitchen rearranged. So that was always, their like, you know, and so they're like, so if you hear anything in the kitchen, just like, don't worry. And I, you know, and I couldn't tell, and who knows, maybe they were just really, you know, yanking my chain Yeah. And they were, but I was petrified that night during uh, the storm alone in the woods, in the house that they told me is clearly haunted. I sat in my bedroom that they put me in and just wrapped myself in this blanket that covered just laid there as it was going on. <laughs> and then, oh man, yeah, and I eventually, I eventually got so spooked being in the house That I that I got I went outside and got in my car. In the lightning, yeah, I went outside, got into my car, and drove it to the top of the driveway, and just sat during this huge storm, knowing that a tree could fall. (laughs) I I felt safer sitting in my car out in the middle of the woods during this storm than I did sitting in their house that night by myself.
0: Now, did they come back? They did.
3: They came back, and of course, I made it out. I was like, "Oh no, I just I couldn't get any service." I just totally played it off that I was like <laughs> trying to make a phone call. Of course. Uh, in my car. Yeah. It, it makes fine. complete no, it sense. Just, yeah. So anyway, that was the spookiest night. And I, yeah. Wow. So,
0: what were you, like, story. were you worried that the ghost was going to like come back and murder you in your sleep with yeah, the kitchen knife or I, like? I
3: don't, you know, I don't know. I So I should say, like, I totally believe in ghosts. Yeah. I was still shaking loose a lot of beliefs in my life during that time, and I grew up in a house where my mom would always say that she didn't believe in ghosts, but mm. if she, but if but if they were real, they must be evil, oh. because all the good ghosts would be in heaven. Oh, so my mom grew up saying that that like, well, there's no such thing as ghosts, but if there is, they must be evil, because you know. If you were a good person, if you were a Christian person, you would be in heaven. So you so, were thinking
0: these are like demonic these are
3: Obviously, evil creatures. Do- yeah, basically, yeah. My mom, very, very, she really messed us up growing up being like, ghosts aren't real, but demons are everywhere. So, like, watch out. And wow. so it was just like, you know, being obviously horribly petrified still at that time of my life, you know, being like, oh man, if there's a ghost in this house, oh it's got to be, it can't be a good ghost.
2: So.
0: Yeah. I believe
3: now in both friendly and unfriendly shows. <laughs>
0: That's a great story. All right. Any other fun adventures that you can no, tell nothing, us about?
3: No, I mean, nothing topped. I mean, in, in that season of my life, I mean, yeah. nothing topped, you know, meeting Lauren. And we decided just to elope while we were on the road together. And we just got, you know, married on some mountaintop in Denver.
0: That was toward the end of your journey?
3: It was toward the end of our journey. I had no money left. I had a couple hundred bucks left to my name, and I and I and she—I don't know where she was. She was staying with whoever we were staying with at that time. And I left, and I went out to go buy a ring, and I had—I well, don't know—four hundred dollars to my name, and I am in cash. I took it all. I took it out. And I took three fifty of it out, and I walked into a jewelry store. And I said I need to buy an engagement ring, and I set it. I set my three hundred fifty dollars down on the counter, and the jeweler looked at me and said, "Are you trying to buy an engagement ring or a promise ring?" <laughs> and I literally <laughs> picked up my money and walked out of the store. I went to another jewelry store.
0: Good for you. It's amazing. And
3: those people, and I just said, "Hey, look, I was like, you know, Lauren and I are, you know, these, we're just traveling. We're just, you know, these vagabonds. Oh, we felt we met on the road. We fell in love. Like, I want to marry her. What can I get for?" Her? you know, $350. And she still wears that engagement. She still wears that same engagement ring today. That's amazing. Yeah. And so, so I got one and you know, when we got married and I asked a pastor to marry us and he said, I would marry you tomorrow, but only under the condition that you invite your parents. Hmm. You need to tell them that you're getting married and they can say they're not coming, but I'll marry you as long, as long as you have like extended the offer to them. So we told our parents and just my mom came mm. and so we got married. So that was obviously the ultimate adventure part of that story. And then it was a whole new adventure once we settled down and got an apartment together and
0: realized that we were married. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and We're not on the road anymore.
3: And how do you navigate going on this like crazy whirlwind romance yeah. of like meeting a stranger on the road, falling in love, having this great passionate romance, getting eloped and then like getting an apartment together and realizing that like the adventure is over.
0: And now you don't have a a trip, you have a cat.
3: yeah, and now two cats. yeah <laughs> we, have a car, we have two cats in an apartment.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, so, man, so so after that, and even up to now, like do you ex- still experience wanderlust? You know, like we talked about how that yeah. that wanderlust can be actually a huge gift.: Yes, as a way to discover deeper things. Yes, I do. okay, so so yep. what does that feel like? <laughs> What did that feel like after you got married? And then how does that feel now?
3: I was very tired after we got married because mm-hmm. I'd lived on the road for almost a year. Yeah. And so the Wanderlust was pretty chill, but we were always waiting. We always thought like, oh man, our life is going to be full of adventures. And so we were just waiting for the next adventure. And then the next adventure came along and it was this trip to Bangladesh. And so like we flew halfway around the world together and, and went there for a while. And then really after that trip, like it just... We just made it a point to wherever we were that we would never we would explore everything. So I mean, we lived in California and we explored every damn part of California, either by car or by plane. And I don't know. And now I guess as the older I get, we just are a little more we're just better with our money and we make sure we save for adventures outside Mm. of America. Yeah. Now you know now that we're older and you know, so it's it's we definitely still feel it. But we're more intentional and less sporadic. Hmm. And usually yeah. we would just be like, Hey, let's get in the car and drive to Death Valley this weekend or drive to San Francisco and just see what happens. And now we're more intentional of like
0: And I think a lot of times too, like one of the cures of Wanderlust is just having a trip on the horizon that you can look forward to. And sometimes yeah. even the the anticipation of the trip is more yes. fun and exciting it than is. the actual yeah. trip, which can sometimes be a letdown. Not always, yeah. but
3: what's your next trip? Do you have something planned now that Paris is over?
0: Yeah. So, we actually went back to Paris. Okay. And Bordeaux last summer. And that was kind of a a redo. In some ways, Paris was amazing and life-changing. And in some ways, it was really hard. And there were some bittersweet things about it. And going back was important for us as a way to, I don't know, just like now that we've learned all these things about how to travel with a family how can we do it better? And it was great. And, and there were some, like the heat was not great. We didn't know that. And this is a stupid thing to not know. But in case you don't know, dear listener, the Europeans and French especially hate air conditioning. Like that's not their thing. And it was like 98 degrees all summer. And oh, that man. was not the best. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh. What would you say was your most uncomfortable moment in Paris? Aside from the 98 degree heat.
0: For that last trip, the most uncomfortable thing, the most amazing thing was, uh, there were two amazing things. We We had this amazing apartment. This wasn't from the book, but we had this amazing apartment. It was ginormous. We did not spend our budget. Like we way overspent our budget, but it wasn't like exorbitant for what we got, like It was an amazing, giant place. There were four bedrooms, which in Paris is incredible. The rooms were like 16 feet high. like Unbelievable. Yeah, so that was really cool. And then the French won the World Cup while we were Um, in Paris. And I walked like around the Arc de Triomphe while I was there. And just like seeing a million people around that and around Champs-Élysées and and all of that that was that was an amazing thing as far as like uncomfortable things i mean that was kind of uncomfortable because there were so yeah. many people and it was i mean like three people died that night mostly oh from like motorcycle accidents but just the amount of people like you're thinking like if a terrorist yeah. attack happened like this would be a good this would yeah. be, this would be a place that would make this sense would be for a that
3: place. yeah i guess i mean too, like outside of your comfort zone. yeah i guess when i say what's the most uncomfortable like what was something you did that was like this is just something i would never normally do
0: i do think that that might have been yeah. something it's i mean a good i answer i don't i don't know like i made a a point to like do a full lap around so i'm walking through like just shoulder to shoulder people, like people are meeting on the streets, they're hugging each other, they're meeting like hugging strangers and also some people that they knew somehow that they found and they're walking through and there's these motorcycles that are doing like loops, but it's shoulder to shoulder with people. So, I couldn't really get through and so, Mm -hmm. I went behind one of the motorcyclers to like because they were making a path, they had like built this little path for themselves and then there was another bike behind me like pushing at my shins as I'm going. Oh my gosh. So, it was yeah. crazy and there are fireworks going off in the stands and people like on shoulders and hanging from the light posts and it was exciting. It was like yeah. so exciting but also kind of stressful. I mean,
3: stressful. Sure, it sure as a heck of an experience that you wouldn't have had here.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true.
3: Yeah. That's great, man.
0: Yeah. So, the next place that we're talking about going is to Japan. I think
2: uh, that yeah. could
0: be it. Now, the problem is, is that we're, we wanted to go summer 2019, and that's when the Summer Olympics are going to be in Japan. And yes. I'm not very interested in being in Japan during the Olympics. Yes, so we, summer
3: 2020? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: 2020. So, we may have to, like, do a thing. I don't know. Yes. And I have yeah. kids now, too. So, like, scheduling travel can be very tricky as we become adults and grow older we have to make plans far in advance yeah so that's what happens yeah but just having that idea of like maybe next year we'll be in japan that is there's something powerful about that and makes you think like oh i have something to look forward to you know for all those feelings of wanderlust i can like pin them to something right uh, that i think is helpful
2: yeah, absolutely.
3: It's also really easy to when you can't do one of those big trips, like just getting in your car still and driving mm-hmm. an hour north or an hour yeah. south for for a night yeah. and or two nights and just like just staying somewhere you've never stayed before or going camping somewhere you haven't gone camping before. I found that like those are the great little interim things mm. that we try to do whenever we can. And especially just if you're on a budget or something, it's just, it's really easy to, I don't know, man, just get in your car and go camping. And even if you're not, I'm a horrible camper. Like (laughs) it is not my thing at all, but Lauren loves it. And so it's one of those things that's just like, oh man, if I ever need to get outside of my comfort zone or get reminded, it's like, I just throw a a tent in the car and we go camping. So anyway.
0: That's great. So now for you, for your trip, what was the big lesson that you learned? I mean, if you could look back on that trip and, and think of like one takeaway, how that trip changed your life, what would it be? I mean, besides the obvious one,
3: but like life yeah. lessons. <laughs> I really honestly think that, and again, this is just the total opposite of your adventure, but in the best way, like I just, I let people influence my life for so long
2: mm-hmm.
3: to appease other people. In, in that sense. So like, I remember when the first time I ever drove across the country, like I was 21, I dropped out of school and was like, I'm going to LA. That's where I want to be. And so I I, I don't even think I was 21 yet. I She's just about to turn 21. And I, and I still like let my dad tell me, like, I was like, I was just going to, I was going to zigzag my way to Los Angeles. And I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I've never been to New Orleans. I'm going to stop in New Orleans on this trip. And like, and then I'll drive South all the way to LA. And I just remember even like a parent, like my parent talking me out of me as like a 21 year old adult being like, no, 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 no. Don't go to, don't go to new Orleans. Like that's out of your way. Like just get straight to LA, be safe, always be safe. It was always, you know, just take the safest route possible.
2: Hmm.
3: I remember my mom saying before I left, from leaving Ohio and moving to California and Los Angeles, my mom had take the safest route possible. And I just like, that's something I'd always done. My whole life was like, take the safest route possible. And it was that phone call with my, with my friend. who was like, start getting uncomfortable. I guess you could say from that moment forward, I was like, man, I got to take the unsafe routes mm-hmm. sometimes and just mm-hmm. see what happens. And I guess I've just kind of always done that
0: from that point forward. So, and now you don't, now you take the unsafe
3: Really? Yeah, exactly. I guess. If I, yeah. If I take the unsaid now. I, true. I mean, it's a funny way to look at it, but yeah, I guess like I truly, my mom, I'm, I'll never forget her being like, you've got to take the safest route possible. And like such a weird, I'm realizing this now during this conversation with you, like what a metaphor for life wow. and just like, you know, always being safe. And sometimes man, like if, you know, sometimes you got to step outside your comfort zone. Yeah.
0: So. That's so interesting. I mean, my, my lesson is similar Just that, you know, the best stories come from adventure. Yeah. And I think that's where this comes full circle, even to this podcast, where we talk about how to live a better story, that we are characters in our lives. Yeah. And so, we want to live better stories. And, you know, if you want to live a good story, you need to be, you can't be taking the safest route possible. You know, right. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to take like the most unsafe route possible, but there has to be some room for adventure because that's where growth happens, I think. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's great. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Max. Yeah, Joe. Thanks for having me on, man.
3: I had a really great time talking to you. And I'm super excited about your book. I'm so happy that you
0: didn't listen to me. Oh my God.
2: So,
3: if anything out there, man, don't come to Max Dubinsky for advice. <laughs> no, I mean,
0: I seriously, like your advice changed the course of this book, which changed the course of my life. So, thank man, you.
3: That's awesome. For yeah. your
0: advice. Well, and thanks for trusting me enough to, to
3: even consider me someone that you would have asked, like, hey, man, should I do this thing?
0: Yeah, of course. So,
3: very cool. Yeah, man. All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck with this. Is it available now on Amazon?
0: It will be. It will be October 22nd. And maybe by the time that this is live, it will be up. So, everyone, you can get the book probably now. Excellent.
3: All right, guys. Head to Amazon. (laughs) Thanks, Max. All right, Joe. Thanks for talking.
0: You too. All right. Let's get into our character study segment of the show. This is where we ask what we can learn from Max's story and apply to our own lives as we try to live a better story. All right, Alice, what was your takeaway?
1: So really, this whole conversation for me was about this concept of being uncomfortable and welcoming discomfort and danger. And there were a couple of points that the both of you made about that that I particularly liked. One was what he said right at the end about his mom's advice to always take the safest routes possible. There are so many routes you can take to places or take in life and the, the goal is to take the safest route possible. And how now he chooses to take unsafe routes, literally and metaphorically, not necessarily to look for the most unsafe route possible in every situation, but to kind of shake it up from the safest route possible in every way and invite some unsafe routes in because that's where the adventure comes in. That's where opportunity for change comes in. And that's, resonated so much with that concept that he was talking about at the beginning of when his friend challenged him and said that you're too comfortable. You keep going to familiar places with friends of friends where you know the language, you know the culture, you know what you're doing. The thing that he needed to do was to go to uncomfortable places and do the things no one is expecting you to do. This idea that just leaving isn't enough, just leaving where you are and going somewhere else and traveling, that's not enough for adventure, you have to choose discomfort, which, depending on what you do, might be inherently part of the travel. But it also might not be, or it might not be in the way that you need it. He had to decide for himself what was uncomfortable and what kinds of discomfort he was going to pursue. And the things that are uncomfortable for him might not be uncomfortable for me, or things that are uncomfortable for me not not be uncomfortable for him. So it's this question of What does discomfort really look like for you, and what do you need to pursue? I thought that that was really thought provoking.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that idea of getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, I think that has been so important for me and my growth. And I have fairly well defined comfort zones that I like to sort of sit in as much as possible. (laughs) And at the same time, I want to grow and I want to become a better person and a better dad and a better writer and a better human. And to grow, I think you need challenge. And you also need contradiction. And one of the cool things about travel is that you see things that kind of confront and are kind of outside of your worldview. It just kind of breaks the way that you look at the world. And What some people do is they see that thing that doesn't make sense to them and they either ignore it or they try to talk about why it's wrong, you know? But I think what an alternative is that leads to growth is to expand your worldview and say, wow, maybe the world is a little bit bigger than I thought it was. And I think that's how we grow through that challenge and that contradiction not just getting outside of your physical comfort zone the things that keep you comfortable physically but to get outside of your worldview comfort zone and confront some things that you know don't make sense to you so that your your worldview can expand
1: yeah I completely agree about that concept of challenge can I share a controversial opinion yes for just a half second. It's a little one. But the concept of a comfort zone, I agree with the concept of a comfort zone. I feel like I've heard the term comfort zone so many times in my life that I just kind of hate that term just a little bit. I just, (laughs) every time I hear it, I'm like, it's just a little bit of skin crawliness. But I will also say that, that I think that that concept of challenge is really important. And the concept of being faced with things outside of your worldview. And there are times, I think, when just circumstances in life outside of our control make us confront things like that, where we are faced with things outside of our worldview, but not necessarily all the time. That's something that we can also shield ourselves from a lot of Mm -hmm. the time or that we just don't have a, con- a lot of control necessarily over what circumstances are going to create that. And the cool thing about travel, the one of the reasons I think why it's a route that both Max and you have taken, why it's a route that we can kind of talk about in this this kind of area of comfort and growth is because this is a way that we can control. This is a way that we can choose I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable situation, so I'm going to leave. That is a a physical representation of the worldview discomfort that I am choosing to put myself in. And I am going to go, I'm not going to wait for circumstances to challenge my worldview. I'm going to go out and actively seek out circumstances that will do that to me. So, in a way, it allows us some. (laughs) avenues of choice. Not exactly control, but some level of control over saying, I choose discomfort now. I'm ready for discomfort and I'm going to rush headlong into it.
0: Yeah, you can be very intentional about finding those opportunities for growth and chances to get outside of your comfort zone. Alice's favorite word.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What if we found chances to get outside of this linguistic rut that we found ourselves in?
0: (laughs) We're discovering so many new little buttons to push. We have empathizable.
1: Oh my goodness! And now
0: comfort zones. Oh my so goodness!
1: Why am I? Why am I revealing my weak spots here? I was looking for empathy, and instead you're weaponizing Aww. these against me.
0: I, I'll I'll do my best to avoid that word, <laughs> or I'll just try to put you out of your comfort zone. Oh my
1: goodness! Can I say your just best kidding. to avoid it? it is not going that. well so far? I, I will not do
0: that. <laughs> I had something so profound to say, but then I lost it. That's
1: why I derailed it with my small, irrelevant, unpopular opinion.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's a great place to end our show. That's it. That's our show. Thanks to Pictures of the Floating World for our theme music. Don't forget to go to charactertestshow.com slash episode 16 for your free prize. Have a great week, everyone. Oh, and we also have a new review, Alice. This one is from, I'm not going to pronounce this right, LJ Cois. What did it say?
1: Love this podcast. Just listened to episode 14 with Nate Staniforth. Joe, the conversation was magical. You have a talent for interviewing, and I like how prepared you are for each interview. As a first-time writer, this podcast is so helpful as an inspiration. Both you and Alice seem so committed to discovering wonder and sharing it with us. Thank you for doing this work, even when it feels lonely.
0: Thanks, LJ. That was really nice. Yeah, it is. So please go to your podcast player, find whatever button you need to leave a review, then write a review. It can be as short as one sentence and click submit. It'll take you 30 seconds to leave a review, but it'll be a huge help. Thanks so much.